Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. I'm so excited about this series because it's been my prayer that all of us will emerge on the other side of the series with greater boldness, confidence, and an indomitable spiritual uh, uh, resilience about us, that we feel the strength of God's empowerment in our lives. Now, why call the series titanium? Well, titanium is actually a chemical element, and it's known for two things, for its strength properties and for its ability to resist corrosion. So I kind of thought, going into the summer, which of us don't need a little more strength? Uh, How many of us, don't we all need a little bit more ability to resist the corrosive nature of everything going on in this world? And so we're going to lean in on this series called Titanium. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand as a follower of Jesus. uh, You've been provided a spiritual titanium body armor set. It's at your disposal to help you stand against the attacks that you experience in life as well as to resist the corrosive nature of this world. So we're going to focus in on a portion of scripture for a good part of our summer found in the book of Ephesians. And this book deals with spiritual realities. It it talks of evil adversaries. It talks about spiritual warfare. And for some of you, this instantly fascinates you. And for others, it puts on your skeptical spidey senses start tingling because you're just like, I'm not so sure about this. And the reason is, is we're all a little different and we're wired differently. Listen, some of our cultures, you know, most cultures around the world have no problem understanding a spiritual reality and that there is a spiritual war at work and happening in this world. But westernized cultures, we get a little kind of funny around that kind of edge of spirituality. And the reason is, after 29 years of pastoring, I figured you out. I know this, that we are all just a little spiritually wired differently. And some of us lean one way or the other. I put it down this way. Some of us lean towards more practical spirituality, and some of us lean more towards experiential spirituality. You need to understand, both are good and both are necessary. If you're going to have a healthy church environment or spiritual community, I hope you have both. People in those gatherings, in those community groups, or in our large gathering groups that have leanings both ways. Now, if you're more practically spiritually wired, it doesn't mean that you don't enjoy experiencing spiritual things. And if you're experiential, it doesn't mean that you're not, you're not practical or that you don't enjoy practical things. It means that your spiritual cup is kind of filled up in these pathways. If it's practical, you love sensible, uh, logical, Oh, that makes sense. I can apply this to my life today. You love teaching series along that lines. You kind of love the earthy application of how God is at work in your life every day and he goes to work with you on Monday. If you're more experiential, you love the miraculous. You love the spectacular, the dynamic, the sensational, that God could break in at any moment and change everything. 
And this affects the way we, what we even listen to. And your podcast lists or your YouTube channels are likely kind of along the lines of either teaching or preaching. You know, if you're more of this uh, spiritual wiring stream, you, you like teaching. You like practical applications of relationship series and on money and, and on forgiving others and how to do life well. And if you're on this side, you prefer being inspired. You want preaching that inspires you and motivates you, reminds you that all things are possible and nothing is impossible with God. The good news is that neither are wrong. And the good news is that Jesus was comfortable in both streams. He was incredibly practical. When you read his teaching, he was so earthy in the way he taught about marriage and money and, and forgiving and all. Like he was so practical. It was incredible. And yet he was equally comfortable on this side, whether it was setting a captive free from spiritual oppression or raising the dead or walking on water. He had great comfort at both areas. Now, why I bring this up is this series, Titanium, kind of exists right in between these two. Listen, if you're practically wired spiritually, I want you to understand that if you'll grab the equipping we're going to give you over the summer months, you're going to emerge on the other side more confident and bolder. I guarantee it. No pro this type of truth is going to build that type of formidable presence, that indomitable spiritual resilience in you. Now, if you're more on the experiential side, you need to understand, we're going to be talking about things that are probably in your wheelhouse, about spiritual things, spiritual realities, and even spiritual supernatural powers that work in this world. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read three verses, and we're going to continue throughout our series. Pastor Keith is going to be teaching next week and picking up the teaching from here. But I want to set the table for where we're going. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's writing uh, to a church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. What you need to understand about this passage that I'm about to read, early in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about your identity. And this is something in our world and culture. Identity is a hard thing to nail down in our world and culture right now. What Paul was saying is, listen, before you're a Greek or Jew or male or female, before you're any of those other kind of markers that we use to identify who we are, he says this, you are in Christ Jesus. That, in other words, our identity flows from our relationship with Jesus. And then it's interesting. He does something that the church hasn't always done well. He, he starts with who we are in Christ, and then he talks about our behavior. The church often talked about our behavior first. And that's why you grew, if you grew up in church, sometimes you, maybe you've grown up in a spiritual community that was more about what you shouldn't do <laughs> or than, than, than maybe who we are. If you get who you are right in Christ, it will inform how you behave. And then we get to the verses we're going to read right now. Paul says, and a final word. He's kind of giving a concluding message to this church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And this is where we pick up the teaching today. He says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. 
So the Apostle Paul's trying to say, listen, we're all in a battle. All of us are in a battle. And there is supernatural evil at work in this world. And it's coming against us. It's coming against you. I love the message version. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul says it this way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is, can you say it out loud with me? This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. A, a number of years ago, I was preaching at a, at a camp in another province in Canada. And uh, midweek, in the middle of it, uh, some of the men at the camp said, hey, do you want to go paintball fighting with us? I, I'd never done it. So I had my son Keenan with me, and the two of us kind of went, we went along for the ride. I'd never done it. We arrive at this place. It's like this big battlefield. It's outdoors. It's pretty incredible. Uh, palatial, like, like large area. And uh, it started out, though, they, they brought us into a room, and they had us sign waivers. That makes me a little nervous, because I know waivers exist because something happened to someone along the way that probably shouldn't have happened, and they got to make sure that <laughs> if it happens to you, you're not going to sue us. So I'm signing the waiver. I'm a little nervous, but, you know, everybody's having fun. And then they hand me the, this paintball gun, and I'm feeling a little bit of adrenaline here. I'm about to shoot some things. This is going to be kind of fun. Like, I, I, I'm thinking, okay, it doesn't, it's not hurtful, it's not harmful, but this is going to be fun. Until the other guys pulled out their guns, they all had their own. And they were like paintball machine guns. They, they had weird names like the Assault Matrix paintball gun. I love this one. The Army Alpha Black Elite Tactical paintball gun. So I'm looking at their guns, and then I look at mine. Mine looked like a Fisher-Price version I thought right away, this is, not, this is going to be a long day. And then they start pulling out their own camel gear. These guys were serious. They had camel gear. They had paintball machine guns. I'm, I had one little kind of pistol paintball gun. And Keenan and I were in our civilian street clothes. Listen, it was a fun afternoon. It was a long afternoon, but it was a fun afternoon. What Paul is saying is, don't mistake the battle that you're in with some sort of paintball weekend war thing. No, no, no. This is pretty serious. Don't mistake it for being a playground when it's actually a battleground. And when you do that mistake, there's consequences. If you're on a battleground, but you act like you're on a playground, you're going to put yourself and everyone around you in danger. Here's the interesting thing about the battle we're engaged in. Not only does it affect you personally, there's collateral damage that happens. There's collateral damage that happens in marriages and families and communities uh, because we don't recognize or we mistakenly think we're in some sort of playground. So Paul's saying there's a battle wa uh, waging. There's a battle roaring and it's coming at us. And this is where he unpacks it. He first identifies who. Who are we fighting? And he says this. Did you pick it up when I read it? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. Now, when I talk about a battle or some sort of a conflict, maybe you think of somebody. You're thinking of someone in particular, or you're thinking of some set of circumstances, because right away you think, yeah, maybe, maybe you're sitting with the person right now. Maybe they're around you. You're, you're thinking of someone that you're in conflict with, you're finding difficulty with, and you start thinking in those terms. Now, to be clear, Paul is not saying, he's not saying that we don't fight against any forms, uh, flesh and blood forms of evil. I mean, he was whipped, he was chained, he fought against flesh and blood forms of evil. 
And he's not saying that, that, that evil doesn't take flesh and blood form in some way or another. What Paul is driving at, and grab this if you can, Paul is driving at the fact that he's saying there, there is a great evil at work in flesh and blood activities in this world. Flesh and blood, people, we're working, we're, we're active, and there's a great evil at work behind the scenes. Hatred, war, racism, oppression, poverty, all manner of ill flows from this. Now, where does this evil come from? Well, the Bible says that he created two race of beings. He's created angels and humans. And that angels chose their, of their own free will to turn their back on God, and they became what the Bible called fallen angels, the devil and his demons. These are supernatural beings that are at work in the world today. And I know if you're of that practical wiring stream, I'm starting to lose you. Stay with me for a minute, though. This is really important for everyone that's listening. So these fallen angels, evil is introduced to the world. And they're at work, these supernatural beings in the world. But they're also humans. And we also chose our own way of our own free will. And we introduced sin and evil to the human heart and condition. And inside of us, is, deep in the root systems of our soul, is that evil. Now, listen, I, I mean, you can see it. You can see it in yourself. You can see it in people around us. Even those of us who are followers of Jesus, when Paul talks about in another portion of Scripture that we've been made brand new creatures in Christ Jesus, he also warns us, though, and he says, and I'm going to borrow some old language from the, the older King James Version. He would also say that, that we also... All, all, we still have the old man in us or the old woman in us, meaning the old nature, still a residue exists in us and will until we see him face to face. So that's how the enemy works. He plays through our activities. He stirs up the evil that kind of exists and lurks in the background of our operating systems, and it causes great harm in this world. Now, as I mentioned, if you're of that practical spiritual wiring, uh, this bothers you. This bothers you a lot. Because if this is true, you lose power. You lose power. We love to, when we're, especially if we're practically wired, we love to feel empowered. That if these are flesh and blood problems, then there's going to be flesh and blood solutions, right? If I can scientifically explain it, if I can somehow, if there's a natural explanation for it, then there will be a natural solution for it. We can solve it. We can fix it. And that's how we stay empowered. It's hard to acknowledge that there's a greater evil at work because then maybe, maybe we can't fix everything on our own. But friends, I think if you look back through the lens of history, you know this is true. You know this is true. If we were going to be able to fix the social ills of this world, if it was simply natural solutions to natural problems, if there were flesh and blood problems, there would be flesh and blood solutions, we would have fixed it already. But, but, but look at racism. How have we not addressed that as a society yet? How have we not fixed this? Because humans are famous for this. And I want you to hear this, because this is probably true of you in your marriage, in your, in your friendships, and everything else. We are great at medicating symptoms and ignoring root causes. It's like having lung cancer and going out for cough syrup at the drugstore. I mean, that's not a bad thing. It can help suppress the cough, but don't ignore the root cause, because your life is on the line. Well, see, friends... He, here's, here's the problem with the way we approach life right now and how we handle things. 
Even as we do Love Army and we're out there practically meeting needs in this world, which is incredible, and I'm so proud of you as a church community, we can never ignore the fact that beneath the practical is the supernatural at work for good and bad. It's always at work. We're not warring with some sort of weekend warrior who takes time off. The devil and the demons and the power of darkness, they're formidable. They're formidable. And that's why scripture would remind us to not go, to not bring earthly weapons to a spiritual battle. In fact, Paul, talking to another church in Corinth, he said it this way, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's, can you say it out loud with me? God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. See, friends, if you use earthly weapons, if we use anger and hate, and these are earthly weapons that are often used to wage war, when someone attacks us, you'll attack them. When someone mistreats you, you'll mistreat them. If you use these earthly weapons instead of God's mighty weapons, you're participating in the enemy's agenda. See, God gives us mighty weapons to use. Now, I'm going to tell you, because I'm going to tell you a couple of them, you're not going to like any of his mighty weapons. Listen, if you're of the sensational or uh, the, the, uh, the experiential kind of uh, spiritual wiring, they're going to feel kind of like anemic. If you're of the practical uh, wiring, they're going to feel like, I don't want to do them. Here's his mighty weapons. Do you have an enemy? Think about that enemy. Here's how Jesus said, here's the weapon you use with your enemy. Pray for them. Is someone cursing you? Bless them. Is someone taking advantage of you? Go the extra mile. Did someone hit you on the cheek? Turn the other cheek. Friends, we don't like this. I mean, it almost feels like we're giving up, we're giving in, we're surrendering. We don't understand. This is precisely how Jesus won the great war and battle. When he hung on the cross, giving up some of his rights. It's precisely these mighty weapons that change everything. When you and I pick up hate and anger and contempt, we're no longer fighting against the enemy, we're fighting for the enemy. We're fighting for him. And it's really hard. This is really hard when you've been offended. There's a reason why in the Bible they call offense is called the bait of Satan. Offense leads to anger. And the scripture says this, that being offended and angered gives the devil a foothold. I love that old language it used, a foothold in your life. In other words, you've opened a door to him to be active in your life. I wonder how many of you that are being frustrated in life because you're holding on to anger. Now, if you don't think you are, look through your social media feed. Look through what you're viewing. If you're watching a lot of videos of angry people, you probably have anger inside of you. And I wonder how many of you are being frustrated in this life because you're holding on to offense. You've been offended and you've not let it go. You've not forgiven. You've not moved on. And that is frustrating things in your life. Why? Because the enemy has a foothold. He's, ably, he's a, able to get in and he's able to disturb what is going on in your life. You see, here's something many of you don't want me to say, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's hard when we're in the middle of it. I get it. I feel it. I'm human. I know. But all of your earthly enemies are really just victims of your ultimate enemy. All of those people that disturb you in this life, 
It's the, it's the, they are victims of the ultimate enemy of our souls who's at work in their lives. As a church, our enemy is in other religions. Let's get, we gotta keep our eye on the ball. Our enemy is in the government. We're, these are not our enemies. Our enemy is this evil adversary who's out to destroy this world and to rob, steal, kill, and destroy from you. That's what he's up to. That's who we're fighting. Then Paul says what we're fighting, what we are fighting. He says, put on God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against, can you say it with me, all strategies of the devil. Now the word used here by Paul is a Greek word that means methods, methodologies. That the, in other words, that the enemy when you become a follower of Jesus, he's targeted you. And he has strategies to try to separate you from God, or if he can't do that, distract you from God's will. That's what he wants to do. He wants to either separate you from God, or if he can't do that, at least distract you from God's will. And he uses two primary tools as you read through scripture. He uses temptation and accusation. Temptation and accusation. Both of those tools are rooted in lies. He's called the father of lies for a reason. Temptation is a lie about God. When we're tempted to do something that maybe God said, don't do this, or, or maybe, maybe don't go there, or don't participate, whatever it might be, we're tempted, and it's saying basically God's lying. He's trying to keep something good from you. He's trying to limit your activities. Oh, he's trying to control, and it's, it's, it's framing God in the context of a lie instead of it's him benevolently loving you, saying, hey, don't harm yourself. An accusation is a lie about you. It's lying about who you are. And this is why sometimes reminding us ourselves of who we are in Christ is one of the most freeing things we can do because it resets that. It's no longer a lie. And he uses all these strategies. He has these strategies or these methods of using temptation and accusation to control us. I'm going to give you a few just in conclusion because I don't want you, as Paul says, don't be unaware of the devil's schemes or his strategies. So the first strategy is something he uses in spiritual communities all the time. It's called the divide and conquer strategy. He knows if he can cause division in the body of Christ, if he can somehow uh, distract us and, and he can weaken us in that moment, if somehow he can cause us to be separated from, from the other, and one of his tactics is he causes conflict around preferences. Things that aren't even biblical issues, just preferences. And we get in our minds a way we think things need to go and somebody else has in their mind a way they think things should go and, and it causes a divide and conquer moment. And he loves to do that in families. He loves to do that in marriages. He loves to do that in church communities. That's one of his strategies. He's really good at this one because it plays on our weaknesses. There's another strategy here. Uh, this is the over and under. I think this is one of his favorite strategies. I think if there's two of the ones I'll give you. There's two I think that are his favorite. The over and under one is a classic one that C.S. Lewis in his great fictional book called The Screwtape Letters, where he talks about spiritual warfare, fascinating read. He, he illustrates this uh, quite well in that book. But the over under is simply this. The enemy would love it if you either overestimated him or underestimated him. Both of those are wins for him. You see, if you overestimate the enemy, you're going to be preoccupied with him. 
You're actually going to find someone you can blame for your poor behavior or the poor behavior of those around you. All of a sudden, it'll be the devil maybe do it. And you begin looking at him with greater fascination than you do look at Jesus with greater longing. That's a win for him. That's a great win for him. You've distracted him. See, you'll be overthinking him. The other one is underestimating him. He loves this strategy because you'll ignore him. You won't see him coming. Some of you, he's been at work in your life and you've been thinking you've been in a playground the whole time. And a lot of the things that are going on in your life is because he's been allowed to have free reign. You've underestimated him. Here's the third one. This is the only, I think the only cure for this is community, this one, the pile-on method. This is where, if you've experienced this, you know exactly what I mean. He, he comes with the first wave of attack in your life in some way, and then he keeps coming and keeps coming until he wears you down. He got Job's wife this way. In scripture, Job's wife, uh, it, it, you know, lots of stuff is coming at Job. You know the story. If you, if you haven't, it's a fascinating read. And finally, Job's wife has had it, and she says, Job, curse God and die. Curse God and die. See, the enemy knows when you're weak, and he loves to come in with a second and a third wave just to pile it on in that moment so you can't get up. Man, the only cure I know for this one is community. There are moments when you're experiencing this, you need to reach out to someone because someone needs to lift your arms in the middle of the battle. Here's the fourth one. This is one of his favorites. I call it the Trojan horse strategy. If you know Greek mythology, you know that the Greeks attacked this great fortified city called Troy. And they couldn't penetrate the walls or anything. And so they built this big, massive horse and they left it outside the gates. And the Trojans thought that this was a peace offering. So they brought it inside their city. And at night, there was a hatch that opened up and the Greek soldiers came out and tacked from within. And the enemy specializes in this. He'll give you something you want, something you think you need, something you, you have desired. And it looks so good on the outside. And once you take it in, once you take it in, well, he hooks you. You see, he specializes in showing you the bait and hiding the hook. That's what he does. He shows you the bait and then he hides the hook. It's a trap. It's a trap. He, he'll cause you to take shortcuts to good things. Shortcuts to relational things. Shortcuts in ethical, you'll, you'll, you'll curve some ethical corners just to make it ahead in business or something. He loves to show you the bait and hide the hook in it. And once he hooks you, friends, and this is what he does, he drags you to places and spaces you thought, at another point in your life, you thought, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. But you find yourself there. Oh, he's sly. Here's the last one. The last one is distraction. He loves and specializes in distraction. If he can draw your attention away from the fact that you're in a battle, if he can make you think you're in a playground moment, all of a sudden, he can run roughshod over your life. Friends, sometimes it's obvious you're in a battle. Sometimes it's very obvious. Oftentimes, we, we don't see it. I couldn't help but think of how many moments families and couples, I mean, you're under spiritual attack, and, and right, you just think it's practical. You think it's flesh and blood stuff. You're just chafing against each other. I always say this, look for the patterns, and you'll begin to see his hand at play. I wonder how many families or couples are under duress right now and it's spiritually attacked. I, I see it in churches. When churches begin to minor uh, on, uh, major on minors 
and mine are on majors, you know they're, they're getting distracted. What a great tactic. I, I notice this, that often the enemy ramps up his offense when you're taking new ground. When you're spiritually taking new ground in your life, when you're taking new ground that's positive and healthy for your family, well, he kind of ratchets up his attention. I felt that this last week. You know, as a, as a church, friends, we've been taking new ground during this pandemic. I, I know you've probably sensed it and felt it. I, I see it too. This last week, I was in a meeting, and it was the first physical meeting of leaders that I, I had been in in over a year. It was physically dis, distanced. We had our masks on. I was invited to this meeting, and it was different. It was a different type of meeting because I only knew one person in this meeting. And I drove across the city. I met with these leaders. Uh, they were all unique. Uh, there were so many of them were business people, and they own multi-million dollar companies. And like, I knew some of their companies. I didn't, they were followers of Jesus, though. And there were, there were these parachurch leaders that led match, massive ministries across Canada. And I'm the only pastor in this meeting. I'm thinking, like, what am I doing here? And they're going around. What they're doing is they're trying to strategize and finance the church in Canada moving forward because the church in Canada is struggling, friends. There's 200 churches going to close this year in the GTA. Uh, the pandemic has not caused that. It's exposed what was already going on in the church. The church was anemic and it was struggling. It was struggling in its mission. It had become a care center that may, basically took care of people until they passed away and had lost its missional edge. And so this group of leaders are coming up with a strategy and they're trying to finance this. And I'm thinking the whole time as I'm listening to the talk, why am I in this meeting? I'm a pastor. Finally, the guy who invited me, I just met through Zoom. I didn't even know him said, and Jonathan's here because one church TO is doing things in this pandemic that, that we're fascinated with. And we've been stalking this church. Now, his language makes you a little nervous. Nobody likes that stalking word. But he just said, that, you know, your love army thing, we, we think that that has national appeal. We, we think so much of what you're doing is going to help the church on the other side of it. So we want it that one church TO's voice at this table. Well, you know, you could feel one of two things. You could feel flattered in that moment. Although you know this, and I know this, if there's any good coming out of this church, it's because Jesus has been at work in this church. It's because our elders have been praying. It's because our deacons have been making good decisions. It's because you're participating in the body and life of this church. But that, that's not what I felt. I'm driving home late at night by myself, and all I felt was weight. The weight of expectations. And I, I'm driving home and I begin to think of everything that's facing our church right now. I'm thinking of the new ground we're trying to take right now. We're, we're engaged with a, a, a consulting group called the Unstuck Group. They're amazing. Helping us with a three to five year strategy to aggressively reach people uh, in Canada with, with the gospel and to do good in this world. I, I'm, we're, as a staff, we're fully engaged in that. We're working on developing the facility to welcome you back and to better serve the city on the, in this next chapter of ministry. I've been working on bylaws and all kinds of stuff that our members will uh, deal with in September and changes and, you know, working on uh, helping us understand why, you know, it's, good, it's time now as a church we legally make our name One Church TO. And we've got a lot of bridges to cross. I've, all I did was feel weight. And I went to bed that night. And I woke up, and I think some of you could relate to this, at 1.30 a.m., kind of a dream, a bad dream I had of this people that were angry. 
And I just felt waves of anxiety just suffocate me. Have you ever been there? And I woke up and I stayed up. I couldn't go back to sleep. And, and I went into my work week and I had nomination committees and I had staff meetings and I had family things and everything coming up as you do. And I get on Friday of this week and I realize I barely touched my message I'm going to speak to you. And I'm feeling, all, then, all, then all of a sudden I feel the accuser come to me and say, what kind of pastor are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of dad are you? Condemnation. And it took me that long, friends, it took me that long to think, huh, I wonder if this is more than physical flesh and blood stuff at work. It took me that long to realize, whoa, I'm, I'm under attack here. The enemy's trying to pal it on and he's threatening a divide and conquer and he's trying to create anxiety in my life. And you know what I did? Something I encourage you to do when you're feeling this. I pray out loud. I don't pray to myself. I pray out loud because as I form the words, my thoughts have to go there. And I prayed out loud in that moment and I felt a freedom come over me. And I know that God was at work in that moment. Hear me. We're going to end now. The enemy has a playbook on me. And the enemy has a playbook on you. Don't underestimate him. Don't overestimate him. Don't underestimate him. And you might be looking at my week and say, Jonathan, that's nothing compared to what I'm going through. Then listen to the words of the Apostle Paul who said this, stand firm, not in your strength, but in God's mighty power. Pray, worship, participate in community, reach out, press that prayer button in our chat room, have someone pray with you individually, allow God to be at work in your circumstances through you. Listen, friends, you can trust Jesus to equip you to face your enemy. You can trust the Holy Spirit to guide you in discerning his activities, and you can trust the Father to protect you with his great strength. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to conclude my teaching by asking you to do what Paul said. Can everybody stand up? I hope if you can do it wherever you are, stand up. There's going to be a prayer that comes on the screen. This comes from a little book that Shelley and I do in our devotional times filled with Puritan prayers from the Puritans, you know, hundreds of years ago. And I want us to say this prayer as a community as before our Q&A time and as we head into our summer. Would you stand wherever you are and let's declare this prayer together. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I live here as a fish in a vessel of water, only enough to keep me alive. But in heaven, I shall swim in an ocean. Until I see you, I am reminded that you are my protecting arm, fortress, refuge, shield. Fight for me and my foes must flee. Uphold me and I cannot fail. Strengthen me and I am unmovable. Stand by me and Satan will depart. Remind me that heaven is all joy, a place where nothing is defiled, where there is no grief, sorrow, sin, death, separation, tears, aching joints, feebleness, sickness, fear of consuming cares. Until that day, help me to stand and withstand the evils of this world. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.